So today I'm going to have Karen come up and I'm going to ask her a few questions because one of the things that I know you're coming next. I didn't I'm not doing you first. Kathy's going to read the scripture and I'm going to read it after I introduce what we're doing. How about a how about a microphone? Can you hear me? So one of the fascinating things to me is when I'm here early in the weekdays, which happens a few days a week, the band, the marching band is practicing across the street. And if you live in the neighborhood, you know that because they're loud. But it's kind of cool, and the drums are going off, and they have a rhythm beat to keep them on beat, to teach them uh, the rate at which they're going, learning stuff. I never was part of the marching band when I was in high school. My sister said I'd regret it forever. I never (laughs) regretted it until watching what's going on up there because it's so new to me. And how can you make that many high school kids do those things when you tell them to? That doesn't seem to be part of my history. And um, so I'm curious because Karen was in that band for how long? Four years. Four years. And so what did you play? I played the flute. Okay. So you were kind of up at the front, at least this this side of the field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, depends. I mean, they had us all over the field, depending on the show, being where you were. I I seem to be watching one show all fall. (laughs) But they must be getting ready. Well, they change the show every year. So, huh? I mean, they, they change the show every year. I mean, yeah. they have oh, choreographers but, but the whole bit. they have bit. one show. But, yes, every year and they have one show. Every football game they do the same show? Yes. Okay, this year. This year. This year they'll do that show. Okay. So I'm getting pretty good at watching it. And um, they're getting pretty good at performing it. In fact, I think this weekend they had a... Yeah, last night was the turn of the bands in Cupertino. We were at the Stanford game. Otherwise, we would have been there. Did anyone go to Cupertino Band? Good. No. The Tournament of the Bands. Tournament of the Bands. Cupertino. Okay. What's that? I don't know when Lodi is. Okay. I'm not so on top of all the band schedules. We have somebody that's in this culture. I'm not even hearing about these things. But anyway, so I want to know what it takes from a participant's, uh, you know, what I see out there yeah. is all kinds of perfect things trying to happen. Well, I think it starts a lot because um, your freshman year. So I, I was actually thinking about this morning. I thought, you know, so much of my life in high school was the band. I mean, literally, like, had no free time. <laughs> but it was a group that I belonged to. And they got you hooked because you went to summer camp. So you had band camp in the summer. So before entering high school, you had band camp. And so you got to know a bunch of people. You belonged to a group. And that was a really comforting thing, going into a big high school. So, yes, it was a lot of long hours of practice, but it was a group that we belonged to, and it was all going towards that one goal of being able to do our best and to perform our best. So it was, you know, so they kind of hook you in the summer. You have a lot of long practices, get to know a lot of different people, and then during the school year, you know, you had practices in the morning and after school, and I'm not a morning person. <laughs> but so they're, they're here early. early How early, early are they here? <laughs> I think like around 6.30. Yeah, and so they, they seem to have their get-ups. They're like, this is my warm outfit that seems like those onesies, you know, that, that the one-year-olds wear and the, only the high school kids are wearing those things to stay warm. And, you know, did you have a particular warm outfit that you wore? I, I don't recall. Okay, it so was almost 25 years ago. They've got, they've got pajama bottoms, and they've got fur coats, and they've got hats that yeah. are doing all kinds of things and stuff like that. But the precision yeah. that's required of how many people in the band? 
Well, it varies from year to year. Yeah. I think we had over 100 people, I would think, yeah. in ours. So. But everybody's got to do their part mm -hmm. at the right time, not only playing their instrument, mm -hmm. but walking in the correct pattern. Exactly. And, and um, it's hours and hours of practice that just determine how you do that. Like anything, I mean, like sports or anything, you just quite hours a of practice. Yeah. Quite a commitment. And, you know, the, they, mm. they told you what they expected, and you did it. We tried. Yeah. Well. <laughs> tried mean, our people, best. People keep coming to practice. Yeah. You know, 25 yeah. years later, they're still coming to practice. So they must have a certain good Kool-Aid for that or something. They do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they've had a great director. Robin has been a great director now. Jason is there. And, you know, they've got a great, you know, great leadership brings about great people. Okay. That's good. Thank you. So that was fa that's been fascinating to me. And as I stand over there and think about, you know, how different that is than my life, you know, in terms of I've led groups of kids, um, whether it's high school groups or soccer teams or those kinds of things. And I'm fascinated by how they lead and the, the culture that they've created and, and laying out the expectations and always following through. And sometimes there seems like they're the student director is calling out letters they have no music they have to know the music already at least by the time I'm watching and going we're going to start with E and everybody runs to a new place on the field this is where they would be at the beginning of that segment that fifth segment of that and it's just amazing how much this and the practice and the practice and the practice that's gone through that and you know I, I kind of look at that in relationship um, to jazz music and jazz music is intended to be something free and something completely different than exactly what's on the paper and what's what where they're supposed to stand and what they're supposed to do and jazz music was created um, in the first generation of American slaves when after they were set free and it was a music of freedom and it became a music of the soul that they played and it was quite different now that can that kind of music can get into you and can get and, and can start driving some rhythms and different kinds of things in your thing and but jazz does it kind of in a little bit different way and it kind of strikes me how different they are and yet the outcomes come out the same in, in the sense that, they're, that they create something beautiful, but doing it in a completely different way. I was using that example of soccer and football to say how different it is to stop and make a plan every, thir every 10 seconds as opposed to they stop every 45 minutes in a soccer game. And it's what you know and how you follow through on those things. But you can still create something that's great and you're running on different kinds of options. Now, I'm kind of talking about that a little bit today. Um, and I'm going to have Kathy come up and read the scripture. And it's Ezekiel 47, the first 12 verses. So if you have a Bible and you want to find it, Kathy's going to come up. We're going to get her that microphone. And you'll see when she starts reading, this is the beginning. This is not the beginning of a prophecy that's, um, that their point that he, the man is pointing out to um, 
uh, to Ezekiel. Uh, so we pick it up in the middle, but it's a story that, that Kathy's going to read that I'm going to chat about with you today. So as Tim said, this is uh, part of a vision that Ezekiel is having where a man is um, touring him around and showing him uh, things. And this is um, a section of what he is shown. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee-deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of live creatures, swarms of living creatures, will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because of the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So what a picture. Do you get the picture that this is, this is water that's, that's coming out of the temple and that it's rising? The water's rising. It seems to be ankle deep. And a, and a thousand cubits, in all my best calculations, is a third of a mile. So, you know, the track around a football field is a quarter mile. And so this is approximately a third of a mile, so longer, longer than once around. And the water goes from ankle deep to knee-deep, to waist-deep, to, in the version that Kathy read, you can swim it, but it's really not passable. Right? Good. And it seems like the pace of the water is increasing as it's deepening. Now, what do you know that gets deeper the farther away that it gets from the source? And what rushes faster when it's farther away 
from the source. You could narrow a canyon and the water would get deeper and rush faster, but it doesn't seem to be happening. It seems to be moving away. It seems to be getting wider as well. About the only thing I could think of that worked like that, maybe some scientists have some different pictures of that than I do, but relationships do that. The farther away they get from the beginning, the deeper they can be, the richer they can be. And I wasn't thinking of too many other things, and perhaps you might think of something that functions like that, but I haven't thought of anything like that. And how does that work? It's kind of an image to me of how God works in his relationship with us, not only as an individual, but collectively. That the farther away, the longer we go, the deeper it can be. Now, I noticed that we invited some of the kids to stay in. And so I want to make this very simple. Okay? For bigger people, I like to make them look for the what we're saying but I want to say three things today step in the water step in the water go beyond where you've gone before and don't look back those three things step in the water if it's a river that God is making I'm asking you to step in it and I'm asking you to go farther than you've gone before and don't look back That's the essence of what I'm talking with you about today. And what is it to get your feet wet? Well, whoever was guiding Ezekiel around in this vision obviously was having him cross or invade, step into the water, step into the things that God is doing, step into the things that the Holy Spirit is moving in. How is that river flowing And it's, good, it's a good time. We have been anticipating this time as a congregation for a long time. It's t- and we've been waiting and hoping and we believe that it's going to happen. And this is the time to step into it in a new way that you haven't had before. You're a different people than you were before 20 years ago, the last time a pastor came. And this is a great time to step into the things that God is doing. Now, there just happens to be a couple things that, that prevent, and I'm so glad Bob's here because I, I, one of the things that, that can, can prevent stepping in or even going beyond is spiritual myopia. Now, I know that's an I word. It's a vision word. And so I know Bob's going to correct me if I do this wrong, and I'm really glad that that's the case. But in a case of spiritual myopia, it's a lack of foresight or discernment, an inability or being unable to perceive what it is that that river's doing, what it is that God's doing among us that we would step into that. The other thing that can get in the way is nostalgia. Now I'll come back and talk talk about that because as that river is going away from the temple and it seems to be widening and deepening and rushing the pace of it has picked up when he gets all the way out there where he can't cross but swim 
whoever is leading him on this vision says, do you see that? Remember what you see. Because then he turns around and goes back and there's all kinds of trees growing healthy. Do you know where this, this river runs, by the way? Over there in Israel, when it, the language that it's talking about, it runs to the east. And then if it wanders south and runs into the sea, do you know what that sea is? It can't be the Mediterranean because it runs east. It runs into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, if anybody's ever been there, is the most floatable body of water, perhaps on earth. It's the, the sailing in it is ten times greater than the ocean. And it includes all kinds of other things in there besides just sodium chlorine. So its density is perhaps the densest water on earth. And you crawl in there and it's like lying down on the carpet. That's how buoyant it is. There's so much in there. And what it says is this river that is widening and speeding up goes in there and cleans it. Cleans it. There's nothing that can live even near the Dead Sea. It is so um, um, acidic. I don't know if that's the right word. It kills everything. Not a fish can live there. No plant can grow there. A friend said to me yesterday, doesn't he have like seaweed or something like that growing in there? No. There's nothing that can survive in that kind of environment. I don't know where it comes from except that it must seep up from the ground and that's the the nature of the minerals that are there. But this river that flows from the temple that is widening and deepening and picking up speed goes into the Dead Sea and cleans it, restores everything that's there. And when he turns around, he sees all the trees and all the things growing and producing fruit. Everywhere that that water goes, that's the result. Now for me, that's, that's kind of an indication of, the, of God's plan of reconciling all of creation to himself. Not just humans that he's trying to uh, reconcile, but all of creation that God is doing. So it's a, it's a fascinating picture that Ezekiel is seeing because all this makes sense. It's like us being in our neighborhood and seeing something like this happening. We would recognize uh, the landmarks. And so it's described like that because those landmarks, the Arabah and down into the sea, those are, are ones they recognize. And for us, the Dead Sea makes sense because we've become familiar with that. So step into that, that kind of water. And my suggestion at this, at this time is to go beyond what you have done before. Stretch yourself. Now I happen to be reading in um, a book that on motivation that's pretty fascinating to me. And it's talking about um, our competence and our autonomy and our relatedness. And those seem to be the keys to motivation in our life. Rather than just a stick and a carrot, a carrot to make you have a reward for what you do good or a stick to punish you, 
but there's actually ways in which that we can encourage each other to move on. Um, and it seems to center around autonomy. Now you can see this in the spirit of God touching individual lives as well as um, doing things among the whole body of Christ. That he, that he gives different gifts and we can honor each other's gifts in ways that we can move forward in, into the kingdom and we can live uh, that kingdom life that Jesus is pointing out that we've talked about as a society of love. Um, and those are the kind of things. But to step in and go farther is a, creates a conversation of how far have we gone already? Now, there's a couple of things that um, I wanted to point out from my 20-month vantage point. That God is with you. You know this. You recite it. But in the, in the stepping in and going farther to recognize, to trust that God is with the things that you pursue. If you align yourself with what God's doing, he will be with you even though the territory uh, is unfamiliar. There's also one of the things that we talk about in church vitality um, is vim. And it's like, do you, perhaps some of you remember vim and vigor? And perhaps that was um, my parents' generation that talked about vim and vigor. But vim has become an icon or a, uh, an acrostic for vision and intention and means. And we measure the life of a church with the, those sometimes by gaining information about them. And you, and you know, Foothill, you have really good means here. The way in which you go about things. You are a body of people. You are not too few a people. You are a people and you have um, people power and you have energy and you accomplish things and you have financial resources and you have material resources. And so that's relatively good. A good place you're in. The intention that you have is very healthy. When you look at what you, what you desire to do in the life of your community is to introduce people to the person of Jesus and to live that out. Those are healthy intentions, not only here, but you intend that for people all over the world and you support that. The vision part is a little bit weak that you have here. It's, it's not fully healthy but you have a healthy intention and you have healthy means. So by that means that stepping in a little bit farther than you've gone before means that you are fairly robust and you can get help with the vision part and even chasing and stepping a little farther than you've been before allows you to gain a picture of what God is intending for you at Foothill. We got some of those pictures this last year. We've stepped into some of those places and you've experienced that, you know, as a body. We've experienced that as we've stepped forward. One more thing about stepping a little farther is with all that you have, with all that God has given you and your faithfulness over the years, don't bury your talent. 
as possible to take the things that God gives us and put it away for another day in hopes that we don't lose it. And my suggestion is that God has given you the things that he has um, through, through you um, for the purpose of stepping into the river and going farther than you've been before. Don't look back. Steve Jobs died this week. He's been in the news a lot. And uh, he really was an icon for more. You know, the, the paper quickly said that it wasn't like a CEO dying. It was like a rock star that passed away. The emotional connection that, the, that much of the world, at least the, especially here in Silicon Valley, um, touched. And it was kind of one of his mantra, mantras about moving forward. He said that probably the best thing that ever happened to him was getting fired by Apple. And the years that he spent, the 12 years, I think, um, that he spent away from Apple recreating who he was and what how he was to move forward in creating another computer company and in, in, uh, in buying what became Pixar and all the things that those created um, and that he brought back into Apple when he re-engaged um, with them. This is a very in, it's been a very interesting week. Uh, to recollect some of those things that are going on in a, in a fairly young man's life um, and the things that he accomplished. So I found it fascinating reading the many accounts uh, about him, some of which I knew, some of which I did not. But, but the, part of the part of why I'm bringing that up was because he celebrated death as perhaps one of the most creative parts of living that we could have created because it causes us to move forward. It's a way of, in his speech to Stanford graduates in 05, he talked about that and he talks about um, making way for the new. And we sit at that crossroads of something new with an opportunity to step into what God's doing farther than we've been before and without thinking that we're going to be sorry later because we've stepped in too deep. Without thinking about that. It's kind of a in some ways, I, today is kind of a Tim's last sermon. He gets to tell you what he wants to happen next or what he thinks should happen next. In some sense, from what Ezekiel's saying, you know, I've been trying to preach Ezekiel 47 for a couple months. Dell knows this because um, I've been trying to do it and he knows about it because we pray on Thursday mornings and... and uh, um, for some reason or another, it kept, kept getting stopped, even in prayer on Thursday morning. 
It was like, God doesn't want me to do this this week. He wants me to do this. And um, so it, it got saved until today. But very poignant to look at the picture of, of, uh, of what God is saying in this prophecy for us today. I think it's very, very poignant that he would say it. So not too long ago, um, Kathy and I watched a movie together from 1995. And, and this movie is, you're going to laugh, but this movie was Sister Act 2. So that's an old movie and it made us laugh because Whoopi Goldberg's the lead in it. And if you know that some of the story, she's a nun, she's playing a nun, she's not a nun, but she's, she's kind of a, she calls herself a headliner in Las Vegas. And the nuns, because she spent some time before in hiding to, uh, what do they call that when you witness protection. So she has, they put her in the nunnery convent, right? And she hates it. And the point is, she, is, she makes a dramatic change in the convent while she's there. She's able to to do that well in the same days the nuns come to las vegas and they take her and they say you have to help us we're teaching at this school in in san francisco and um we need help because the the high school is just going downhill and we need something to break through and so they give her the choir well she turns this motley crew into a stunning choir. Isn't this the way all high school shows go? Um, whether it's a sports show or a singing show or whatever. And um, she turns them into a quality caliber such that they are competing for the best choir in California. They go to L.A. And so they're, they're in the competition. And the, the part of the clip that we're going to show you is the finale, is when they are singing their song. You come with one song and you compete. Two, two choirs before them, a group stands up from Southern California in gorgeous robes, in perfect um, positions on the stage, in perfect harmony, under perfect direction, and I mean perfect, and they don't show enough of it to have grabbed a clip. But you have seen a choir like this in your lifetime that is, that is precision and perfection like the band is trying to achieve over there. And they do an, a, an immense and a magnificent, glorious performance of joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And the kids from this uh, high school in San Francisco, which is called St. Francis, not the one in the neighborhood here, um, but an urban, uh, fictitious high school in the city. And uh, they are distraught because that's their song. And their robes, don't look anything like 
the choir that has performed before them. And they're taking off their robes and ready to go home. And there's something about uh, Whoopi's leadership that when she catches wind, and you've got to see her, you know, she's got the tight thing around her head and the, the, the black and the white and all the things that I'm not used to that would make me choke. But she catches wind of what's going on and she changes what, what needs to be changed in order for them to perform. And they just have one act in the middle to do this. And at the same time, their lead uh, soloist, who has um, defied her mother and gone on this trip. So she has forged the signature and just disappeared from her single mom. And while she is the first out on stage to, to begin with a solo, her mother walks in and sits near the front row. It's like walking in and sitting where Kathy's sitting, and she's standing here looking at her mother, realizing what has just gone on. And when you listen to the beginning, when it talks about joyful, joyful, sometimes it's hard to be joyful. And the song begins almost as a dirge because of what is going through the life of the choir and what is going personally through this young soloist. Um, but the other part of it is um, what happens next you get to see in the, in the clip that we're going to show. And you see the dramatic transformation when they choose to step beyond where they've gone before and they refuse to look back on something that could have been different but then becomes um, a performance of a lifetime. So it's with that clip. I'm hoping all the technology works. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. So the band come up here. Band is going to lead us in a song, but what I what I'm kind of tying together that 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 song filled me with the whole the messiness of the stuff that goes on in our lives. It filled me with the flow of what God is doing uh, and what God is doing in that. And um, so it was for me that was a stepping beyond where you can go can take you to new places. That's not us. I'm not saying that's not Foothill, right? It's not. It might be a day. <laughs> that's right. But the point is, we find expression in different ways. And in that place, just like the band across the street puts all the pieces in just the right place to bring about a performance of the ages, every year they have one. And this particular high school had one, and each played their part. And it came out, at least for me, quite gloriously in the, in the broad spectrum of things that they brought, the gifts that they brought to it. So now we're going to sing, and we're going we're gonna to finish our worship today, I think, with the same song, okay? Hey?
Right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>